Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. It's Monday, April 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden has a number of issues that continue to bog down his approval rating. Starting with the war in Ukraine, Biden recently said that Putin is a war criminal and that he is committing genocide there. President Biden also projects calm about COVID publicly, but officials are nervous another wave could hit. And approval ratings are the lowest they have been, especially with young people. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for what to know. Next, there's a top-secret world to the lavish and private gigs of music stars. While these have always been around and evolved over the years, music stars can get paid millions to play private parties, weddings, and more. The key thing in all of this is secrecy. Attendees to these parties usually sign NDAs to protect all parties from criticism of wealth inequality and how much money is being transferred. Experts say this trend will continue as it has moved beyond old rock and nostalgia acts to pop stars. David Brown senior writer at Rolling Stone, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We're going to only learn more and more about the devastation. And uh, we'll let the lawyers decide internationally whether or not it qualifies. But it sure seems that way to me. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, it's uh, obvious, right? Uh, Joe Biden, as the president of the United States, has a ton on his plate. Sagging poll numbers going on right now. And uh, obviously the war in Ukraine figures pretty high up there, too, as uh, something that we're heavily involved in. Just talking about kind of statements that he's made in the past. uh, He's called 
Vladimir Putin a war criminal. Most recently, he said that there's genocide going on in Ukraine because they're trying to wipe out even the idea of being Ukrainian is how the president put it. And right away, you know, when the president says these types of things, it throws everybody into a spin. And, you know, we've talked about war crime stuff before. I mean, proving all this stuff is just so difficult. That's right. So, uh, as you said, sort of twin crises facing the president and one of them is Ukraine. Um, we've seen a little bit of a calming of the fighting in the last week or so, but we expect that we, we hear from intelligence officials is that that could start to uh, ramp back up in the coming days and weeks, that it could become more intense. And Biden is really becoming himself more vocal in his criticism of Vladimir Putin and of what Russia is doing to Ukraine. As you said, he called the actions of the Russians in Ukraine genocide. This was the first time he had used that word. He had been pressed previously if this was a genocide and had not um, responded. Um, and this was sort of an interesting position for the president because they were quick to say it was intentional that he said that but this was not a policy statement by the United States that he said later, you know, the lawyers, lawyers will figure out what to do about this. Um, so he was staking out this criticism, um, but it n may not necessarily mean a change in the behaviors of the U.S. or the actions of the U.S. Right. As you said, he had already called him a war criminal. And we already know the U.S. is trying to get um, war criminal proceedings to begin in an investigation to begin. But this was just another sort of um, tick off the list of things of which Biden has been very critical of the Russians. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to kind of weigh in on all that stuff when you're seeing the atrocities that are happening, especially just very recently that we saw. So the president just kind of uh, some tough talk there, but you're, you know, to the point, right, the, the bar is so high, the burden of proof is so high to prove these things. It's for lawyers to kind of work out. But as the head of a state, people listen and, and people take that into account. Let's also talk a little bit about what's going on in Biden's world when it comes to COVID. So right now we're seeing uh, some cases rise up because of this Omicron subvariant, uh, mostly in the Northeast. There's not really much cause for alarm just yet, but the reports are saying that, you know, behind the scenes, people that work with President Biden are kind of a little nervous that uh, of what might happen, you know, if uh, another surge comes, especially after the CDC has changed guidelines and we're looking at numbers differently. So there are some nerves in the Biden administration, even though publicly they're saying we're moving on to this next phase of the pandemic. Heard, uh, here in Washington, D.C., in the area, not like we saw over the winter, but an uptick in cases. Um, and one of the remarkable things that one of my colleagues was reporting on yesterday in New York and in the Washington area, as we've seen this uptick, we haven't seen an uptick in people going to the hospital or urgent care. So this does seem to be a bit of a different surge than the ones we've had before. But you're right, there is concern in the White House. And not just because the virus got pretty close to the president. Nancy Pelosi was with him and then tested positive a few days later. This is one of those situations where they're watching closely. They still have not gotten all of the funding that they wanted from Congress. And so that is a point of concern from them. And they're trying to get um, everyone to pay attention and to be aware, but without sounding alarms or making people think that this is something they should be scared of. So the White House, when he was not deemed a close contact, but had been around those folks, said, you know, he's going about his life, as he said, every American should, taking the right precautions, but also resuming um, sort of the new normal. Right. Yeah. And the way we're measuring all this stuff now is through hospitalizations and deaths, not so much case rates and positivity rates. I wanted to also talk about, uh, 
I mentioned polls at the beginning of all this. Biden's approval rating continues to dip. A new CNBC poll says uh, his approval rating is at 38%. And then more specifically in a Quinnipiac poll and Gallup poll, we're seeing that his approval rating with young people has really taken a dip, specifically with young people. Yeah, his polling is not looking great. And this is really spelling more trouble for his party looking ahead to the November midterm elections. They're really concerned that voters, that uh, groups like young people, like minorities who have been reliable parts of their base are going to stay home or worst case scenario for Democrats as vote for Republicans. Um, This is a problem. And it's really the economy. When you ask people how he's handling Ukraine, The marks aren't that bad. But when you ask them about the economy, about inflation, about prices at the grocery store and at the gas pump, they're really giving him negative marks. And that's really driving the discontent with him right now. Yeah. From that CNBC survey, 47 percent of the public say the economy is in poor condition. And, you know, we've talked about it before, right? Uh, There are a lot of good things happening in the economy, but inflation is just hitting people so hard. That's the first thing they're seeing that and gas prices. Those are the first things that they're seeing. Yep. It's really just hitting people where they notice, and that's their own pocketbooks. The economy as a whole, the numbers don't look bad. There are jobs, people are working. We've had a recovery from COVID, but it's the inflation, and it really is getting at people where it matters, buying groceries and putting gas in their car. Well, a lot of uh, not so good news for President Biden. Little time to make it up as the midterms are quickly approaching. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And yes, I learned that, yeah, a lot of stars were being paid a lot of money to do these kind of concerts by Zoom. And sometimes they'd be kind of elaborate. You know, it wouldn't just be somebody sitting with their guitar in front of a camera. It might be a on a little stage and they would film it and there'd still be some of those effects. Joining us now is David Brown, senior writer at Rolling Stone. Thanks for joining us, David. Good beer. Well, let's talk about the inside, lavish, top secret world of private gigs. Now, this is something that everybody kind of knows that's going on. It's just a matter of who's playing what and where. And you wrote this big article about how a long time ago, it kind of started off as doing these corporate gigs. You know, you get some old classic rockers, people uh, that, you know, everybody knows and loves, you know, bring them out, trot them out, pay them a bunch of money and they'll do a gig and it'll be all fun. But this is kind of progressed from that into, you know, these super secret parties, VIP parties that people will throw for a bar mitzvah or people will throw for a wedding or something like that. And they'll still pay these these stars millions of dollars into the seven figures in some cases to come and play these very exclusive events. So, David, walk us through some of this. What are we seeing with this? You know, you're seeing a confluence of a lot of things. I think you're seeing, on one hand, you know, the uh, fact that a lot of older music fans, you know, both sort of boomers and and maybe Gen Xers who are now in their 50s, have done pretty well, you know, in, in their life financially. You know, we've all known that. This kind of proves it. I think it's also, as you said, it's gone back a long time. You know, we started seeing these kind of corporate shows in the 90s, and then these more private things started kicking in really in the last 10 or 15 years. And, you know, I think that also coincides with, you know, the changing sort of economics in a way of of music, you know, with streaming kicking in, with CD sales dropping, artists looking for more revenue streams, as they call it. And yes, if, if some 
well-to-do person comes along and says, hey, I want to pay you whatever, half a million dollars to play, you know, my birthday party or a little gathering for friends. You know, in the past, artists might have said, no, no thanks, that's not cool. And now, you know, they're much more open to it. And the last two years, they've been even more so because of COVID. And, you know, touring is shut down. They haven't made that kind of income. Right. Uh, they sometimes have crews or employees that they still want to support. So there's all these other factors that have made it a lot more enticing to pop music stars yeah. than they have in the past. And, and that's a great point with the revenue stream part of things, right? You know, even when it comes to streaming, everything's on streaming platforms now. You don't get the returns on it as you used to with record sales and, and the touring stuff. So it's completely in line that, you know, you want to keep diversifying how you're going to be making money. And with the shutdowns and everything like that, you know, these super private gig things still persisted even then, but in the virtual form, right? They made uh, stars to come and uh, just do a virtual gig for all of this. Yeah. One of the uh, many things I learned in the course of researching this story is, you know, when I first started on it two months ago or so, I thought, well, this whole business must have just uh, expired over the last two years with the lack of touring and the drop in touring. Some tours did resume over like last year or so, but for the most part, it was not what it was pre-pandemic. And yes, I learned that, yeah, a lot of stars were being paid a lot of money to do these kind of concerts by Zoom. And sometimes they'd be kind of elaborate. You know, it wouldn't just be somebody sitting with their guitar in front of a camera. It might be a on a little stage and they would film it and there'd still be some of those effects, but it might be, you know, but it'd be people watching it, I guess, on their, at a gathering, family gathering on a computer you know, in their home with <laughs> right. however many people. And even then, people were shelling out five, six, five to six figure fees, you know, for, for some of the bigger names to do that. And, you know, it could be, it could be Sting, it could be uh, any number of people who've done that over the last uh, year or so. So COVID didn't completely wreck that business, basically. Right. And one of the key things through all of this is secrecy. So maybe in these corporate gigs, you know, word get around, you know, so-and-so is going to play all that. But with these super private things, you know, secrecy is really key. A lot of times you're signing non-disclosure agreements if you're a host or an attendee to one of these parties. And even for the acts themselves, they might not want, you know, to get caught up in like, oh, you know, look at these people. They're throwing a million dollar party, all this other stuff. So there's a lot of secrecy that goes into it. And even kind of, uh, you know, politics play a role in this. There's been people that have done private gigs for big so-and-sos come to find out later, oh, they were a crook. You know, they, they were involved in some crazy financial dealings, whatever the offense could be. And so secrecy remains a, a key priority for both sides of these, uh, of these deals. It absolutely does, and which I learned right away when I first started in on reporting this story. And I reached out to lots of, you know, music business contacts that I have and executives and managers and like, Ask, hey, do you do you clients do these? I hear the clients do these. So they talk about it, and you get like silence on the other on the other, or you know, no response, or they would say no comment or whatever. And you know, so I had to really dig a little deeper and discovered that you know, there's a whole other kind of parallel universe of businesses that just do these parties. And you know, they said they're the they're the kind of the middlemen, uh, middle women, maybe perhaps sometimes you know for between the you know the the hosts who are throwing the parties and the and the artists and yes and they're the ones who were you know said yes you know and I, and I would ask them well what's going on how come people aren't responding and they're, well we're, we're seeing a big increase in non-disclosure uh, agreements yes there's a lot more of that you know sometimes they're asking people to to uh, you know check their phones at the doors you know so that there's no footage that leaks there on the internet and I think people are 
uh, as you say, a lot more conscious, especially in this current, you know, economic climate and yeah. the, the post-occupied kind of world. You don't necessarily want to be seen as associated, you know, with an event like this. It might not make you look cool. So uh, secrecy is a huge thing, but you were able to talk to one person in particular for this story. I know a lot of people, but at least uh, one person who I used to love back in the day. So Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray, bunch of hits, just fun music and all that. But, you know, you think about him and, and it, it just clicked in my head. I was like, I can totally see Mark McGrath doing these types of things or he'll do big parties, a wedding, whatever it is. And he's totally upfront and out about it. Just like, you know, hey, if I can make some money, I can do stuff. And, uh, you know, this is great. And he also shared some, you know, things. He said he's done certain gigs where the, the crowd just wasn't into it. And you just have to keep slogging on. You just got to keep performing. That's that's the job. You're getting paid a ton to do it. And I think he said for him and his band, sometimes they'd get these things and they're, they're getting paid seven times what they would normally get, be getting paid for a regular gig. So you were able to speak to Mark for, for a lot of this. Yeah, I was. And he was, yeah, he was uh, completely up, open and upfront about it. Like you say, he wasn't, he, he wasn't ashamed of it. I mean, he's you know, basically said half of his income and annually yeah. now comes from these kind of gigs, which is, you know, sizable. And he's also very, He's smart and he's aware of his place. He, he, you know, he made a joke like, "I have four hits, will travel." You know, he knows. <laughs> right, he knows. Right. And he, at one point, he said, uh, "I don't think it's in the story because I never room." But he said, "You know, it's not like that many people know Sugar Ray Deep Cuts. You know, they know the four songs." <laughs> right. And he goes, "If they want to hear other hits from the '90s, I'll play them. We'll play them. Whatever they want." He's like, "Look, I want to make a living. I've got a family. You know." He's like, "You know, it's a real privilege to be offered these things." You know, he. Yeah, he knew it wasn't cool, but at the same time, he said, I was never cool. (laughs) You know, know, and uh, and for a show like these, I mean, people only want to hear the hits. They're only doing a 30, 40 minute set. It's not like an hour long plus concert set that they're doing. So just playing the hits is all you need. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he even has a a super group of sorts with, you know, uh, guys from, from Tonic and other 90s bands. And they'll and they'll play some of these events and just play all their combined hits. So you'll get like a whole like um, late MTV era kind of concert in your house. (laughs) Right. That's perfect. That's kind of what you want. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the money. I know we've been talking about, you know, millions of dollars here and there, but there's companies that help put on these events and help do the bookings for these types of things. Everybody, you know, there's that old uh, saying, right? Everybody has their price. A lot of people do refuse stuff. A lot of people put their price so high that it kind of takes them out of these types of categories. You mentioned uh, Bruno Mars in your piece who just won like four Grammys uh, with Silk Sonic with uh, Anderson Pack and everything. So obviously right, right. A, a huge get, but you know, some people say that uh, he can command as much as $4 million for some type of private performance. So you kind of take him out of the thing, but people are still making a lot of money. They are, they are. And, you know, in some cases, you know, like Jennifer Lopez did one a number of years ago, it's in the story. And, you know, she was paid, you know, 1.2 million for a family in uh, in Asia, in Macau, to uh, for a family birthday party. They not only paid her that, but they gave her and her staff, uh, you know, half a million in travel fees. So they paid for their airfare and their hotels and all that stuff on top of the 1.25 million. And you know, she played for 40 minutes. You know, that was her set. And, and for and for 20 people. And for like 20-ish people, right? Just the family family even built a a little special nightclub in a hotel for it you know so it really gives you <laughs> the story really does give you the sense how much how much money there is out there in the world you know uh, you know for uh, for people to kind of throw yeah. around like this 
But yeah, I mean, and you know, as another artist manager told me, like, well, you know, the food's a lot better than you know at these gigs, <laughs> like you know, backstage catering at some club. You know, the amenities you get to stay at a nice place. Sometimes, you know, there are, there are all kinds of other things playing into it that really make people. And make people yeah, not say no. At this something point. like that is uh, uh, doubles as a vacation. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it, it kind of uh, helps out there. And, you know, so through all this, and that's what I love, right? Everybody loves those stories to know what's going on and to be there is even better. But that, again, we circle back to the secrecy of things, secrecy of things. That's why they are so secret. You want to maintain all that exclusivity. And with all of this, right, people, experts just say it's going to keep going. And uh, we're seeing younger pop, uh, pop artists do it more. It's not just for the older uh, acts now. It's Everybody's kind of getting into it. And it's going to keep on going. Right. It's, it's not just, you know, classic rock. You know, you're seeing people like Pitbull and Beyonce did one. Who knows if she'll ever do another one again. Uh, and you're seeing, you know, um, some older, like, uh, classic rap artists being pulled into that, you know, like Too Short and Vanilla Ice and... Florida has done yeah. some uh, bar mitzvah work, you know, so that's a really interesting twist, I think, you know, to see if, how much that picks up in the future. You know, the rap nostalgia is kind of kicking in and it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, now moves into this world as well. Totally. I love it. And all of the examples that you mentioned in the article, I would go to every one of those parties. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it does make you wonder, like, if I had that much money, would I, what would I do? Yeah. Who would I? Uh, it would be at my know? party. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> David Brown, senior writer at Rolling Stone. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Great for you, Neil. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.